Hi, I'm Miranda Gretton, and you're listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. In this new series of the podcast, I sit down with some more senior members of staff to find out how they made their way into their leadership roles. Today on the podcast, exactly one week after starting with us, I'm joined by NCHC's new Chief Executive, Stephen Coleman. Welcome, Stephen, to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) I can hear from your accent there that you are not a Norfolk local. So tell me, where did you grow up? So you're right in that assumption, I'm not a Norfolk local. Uh, so, I, so I grew up in Middlesbrough in the North East. Don't know Middlesbrough very well. Is it? Is it nice? Was it a nice place to grow up? Um, the probably national perception of Middlesbrough is not a particularly nice place. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I have to say I've got a, a real affinity with the area. So I, yeah, I grew up Middlesbrough born and bred. Yeah, it was quite industrial, kind of your traditional hardworking, northeast not entirely the most affluent area that you'll grow up in but yeah uh, contrary to what you may think it's not like Billy Elliot either <laughs> yeah that's that's my only impression to be fair from growing no, up in yeah. Norfolk you know it's heavy steel works in uh, chemical works my dad used to work in the chemical works that's how he ended up there so yeah. what was your first job then did you follow him into the, that industry uh, no, my f- my first job, I, I was actually doing my A-levels and thought, I'm not, I'm not so sure I want to keep doing this. And had a girlfriend at the time who went to be a student nurse. Thought, well, that looks all right. Kind of interested in that field. So uh, that's how I ended up applying to do my nurse training. You trained as a mental health nurse. What made you choose that path particularly over any other kind of nursing? I could come up with some really complicated answer. And some really deep and meaningful about how I really enjoy kind of the emotional intelligence side, really wanted to help vulnerable groups, which is what I kind of ended up doing and love. The real truth of it was I'm not very good at blood and gore. (laughs) So uh, that's what started me. But now generally I had a real interest in kind of, I think just around people. And yeah, so that's what set me off on that path, really. And then the more I looked into it, the more interested I got. So in Middlesbrough, there was a local hospital, kind of the old asylum buildings. And as part of the process, you went to have a look around that. And that there was some really different services on it. So there was a young people service. There was what we call a forensic service, which was people who've kind of come into conflict with the law, probably, or need extra support. And then there was like general acute wards that you have for people kind of adults and older adult wards as well and just got a real interest in it so yeah I went into it from there and that's that set me off on my career path really. Tell me something that shaped your career. We had to do a specialist what we called a specialist placement and I always wanted to work with young people and we had a young people's unit there and for whatever reason and you never know quite the whys and wherefores of this thing they lost their training status so I was literally going to go on the unit in a week and they lost it so we had to get moved somewhere else now the forensic unit that I mentioned was this building out the back it was quite a modern building because it was one of the first in the country it was but it was definitely the first in the northeast and kind of had two main groups it was people I, that were either coming out of high secure hospitals so the kind of Broadmoor Rampton type or it was looking after, um, it was doing assessments for people that were in prison and needed kind of mental health care and you were doing advice to the courts or you were providing short-term treatments. That was the forensic unit. And they put me there because it could it could take more students. So I, I kind of ended up on there. How old uh, were so, you at that point? Uh, God, how old were I? I must have been about 19, 20. <gasps> but it was, 
actually I loved it on there and it was then that was really surprising because I wouldn't have chosen to go on there and once I got on there I absolutely loved it and that's where I ended up spending you know most of my clinical career if you like and uh, became a ward manager on the unit later on ended up running the unit as general manager but that was one where it was just serendipity really in some ways it was luck and I would definitely not have planned to go there but as I did my I think I had to do like three months there absolutely loved it. I think that's really fascinating that you kind of thrown into that world it aligned with what you wanted to do you know you wanted to work with young people you wanted to work with people who were vulnerable and and it was that so that's really interesting that actually you should sort of broaden your horizons sometimes and look outside of your comfort zone obviously you're in your leadership role now and we'll come on to that in a second but do you feel like you kind of every now and again you wish you were back there doing that Um, being a mental health nurse yeah there's some parts of it I absolutely loved when I was a general manager of a uni we opened up a ward and it had a group of patients that had kind of real severe enduring mental illness and but I absolutely loved working with that client group it's really challenging but I think that's kind of what I enjoyed and you know when you people think of mental health I guess the kind of average perception of it is that it's quite sad it's you know but you saw people and it was part of them and it was you got to appreciate it as part of them I do miss bits like that what happened to make you think right I'm going to leave and move into a more kind of leisure so that kind of general management of the ward and then obviously the steps that would have followed Um, what was behind that decision I don't I don't know if it was ever a conscious one I think I don't know whether I just kind of had some ambition to do something and influence more and I think that's probably what's one of the things that's gone on with it it's never been kind of almost like a naked ambition around the job it's more of an ability to influence more and even back as a ward manager it's the ability to you know work with other people and get them to develop and get them to kind of contribute and if you know I can affect a small group of patients but if I get a ward running well they affect a bigger group and if you get a service running and that's kind of been the approach if you get a service running well it affects even more then you get to like you know you're running divisions directorates things like that and then ultimately you know the road I was on I was running operational services and then obviously looking to come here as, as you're trying to help an organization um, and a system and I think that's that's where it's come for me I've always loved kind of and put a lot of time into developing staff so they can kind of contribute the best in some cases you push them to do things that they didn't think they could do um, and look back at something and go, oh, I didn't think we'd do that. And, you know, and it and it's got a lot better than it than it had. I think that's really interesting because I know a lot of people quite often think, you know, this is just the way it's always been, how we've always run things. And people look to that leadership level. If nothing's changing there, there's often a perception that nothing can change because obviously yeah. if it could change, surely we'd be doing it differently. But that's not always the case. And I think that's really interesting for you to say that, your personality type was someone who thought right well if there is a change to be made I'm going to get up there and do it myself but was there like a tipping point was there something on that ward that you were working on that made you think I want to change this and this this guy at the top isn't or this woman at the top isn't doing it I'm going to get up there and do it myself no I think I think in my earlier career I was probably it was probably more the other way around I probably had a couple of people that I looked at and thought can I kind of really admire what you're doing and I really like how you do it so uh, probably I've had the odd one where I've looked and thought I'm sure I could do a better job than that. So let's think about your move to NCHC so where have you come from what was your last trust? So I came from George Elliott 
which is a, an acute trust in uh, North Warwickshire. Being really honest, it was a bit of a turnaround job. It was uh, was in a bit of a difficult place when we when we kind of all came as a relatively new board to it. I like the idea of, you know, we don't design things in an office and we, we get into that real culture of go see, walk in someone's shoes, see what problems it is, see why that result is coming out like it is, and then we work out how to change it from there. So that, that kind of did a lot of that with the directorates really. I think our staff will really resonate with that because sometimes I think it can feel quite isolating, especially yeah. in the wilds of Kings Lynn or North Norfolk or something, and you sometimes yeah. don't feel seen. And I think it can feel very difficult to affect change when you're out there. So to know that the senior leaders are looking to to get out there and to see what's going on and really yeah. get amongst people, I think is so important. It's it's one of the things that really attracted me to come and work. So I'd, I had worked in a combined community and mental health trust. And one of the things that I think the challenge we've got is we talk about place and place is really, really important. That's what's going to be the future, I think. Um, and I think through place, we've got a structure to start to do that. But I think we can take a step further as well and we can look smaller than that and look at neighbourhoods. And those practitioners that you say that are out there are the ones that absolutely understand their neighbourhood and can describe it. And, you know, they know that, you know, that model that works over in Kings Lynn is not going to work over here in Norwich or doesn't work further south. So. With the trick for us, I think, will be developing that flexibility to be able to cope with that. And that that's the bit that's really exciting in the trust. If we can, you know, obviously it's a really good trust. The bit for me is how we push on that and how do we, how do we use that if you take the outstanding rating? So how do we best maximise that for the system and how do we really um, use that for the staff so they can contribute to that? development of what what it is we do um i'm feeling charge of their bit you know we all want to feel in charge of our workload and that we've got a contribution to make and people are listening absolutely that's where we want to get to with the place yeah you're right people want to feel like they're being listened to and i think that like you mentioned communication is so important and looking at our footprint I mean, it's one of our biggest challenges is always yeah. going to be communicating between areas. And so it's really refreshing to hear that you're thinking about, you know, what works in one place doesn't work in another. And yeah. it's how we join up those approaches and everybody yeah. feels like they're contributing to it. It's tricky. It's really tricky. I mean, is you said, you know, you're looking forward. That's exciting for you. And I love the fact that you've said that in those words. You didn't say, oh, my God, yeah. this is our biggest challenge. You know, yeah. you're seeing this as exciting. Which is great. And I think, you know, I'm just I'm interested to know what you do see as a challenge at, at NCHNC. Have you joined and thought, oh, my goodness me, how am I going to tackle that? Um, I think there's probably a couple of areas. I mean, what we're dealing with in the pandemic, you can't ignore. So there is a backlog out there. We're having to prioritise people and look at, you know, and, and they're really difficult decisions that clinicians will be making. And you mentioned, particularly at the minute with the pressures that we're dealing with where ideally we'd get to somebody a lot quicker but we're having to we might be having to push that back slightly or whatever so, so i think i think that's that's obviously going to be a real challenge we're trying to build a new system so we you know we love an acronym don't we in the nhs and stuff so we talk about like integrated care boards and systems and it's not the governance for me it's the thinking that needs to be really different You've referenced one, which is it's a big patch. There's a lot of staff out there. There's a lot of staff that don't work traditional hours. 
that we we kind of really want to get hold of, communicate with, listen to. I'm really keen that we're a listening organisation. It's not about transmitting. I think in terms of the acronyms, we get we get told we're joining particular systems or, you know, and then the, someone references the CCG and, and doesn't say what the acronym means. And it yeah. can be quite confusing. And I think I think from most people's perspective, it's really just what's in it for me. You know, what does that mean for me on the ground, doing my job every day, whatever you're doing and what, whoever we're joining and collaborating with, it might have a really good benefit in one area, but it might not be clear what the benefit is in another area. Absolutely. And making it real to them. Um, making it real about what's the patient benefit and I think that's the challenge. In terms of our trust what does allyship mean to you? So I, I think we have to be a real lead in it and we have to be brave about some of that as well and probably take us into a space that most organisations aren't used to being and I, and, I, and I have a really broad scope of that so I think there's the, there's the patients and the population and the staff so we're an employer that you will look to we will listen and be really respectful of your circumstance and your story because I, th I think the other danger with some of this is that it's not individual and every individual story is different and everybody's needs are different and we have to try and manage that i want to set us the challenge as an organization to be that employer that people will look to will be really supportive it's not just your traditional workplace adjustments but some of that is we've got to be really public about it so people know where we stand. And I think one of the common ones that we did last in my last trust was particularly after the football where there was there was some really horrible racist incidents to the to footballers and the conversation flew up, you know, became very conscious. Um, we did quite a public response about that. What I don't want to do is fall into a bit, you know, we respond to an incident that's happened and then it just kind of gradually dies away again. I, th I think we've got to be kind of pushing at that all the time so the staff can see that. And if you're one of the staff groups that we happen to be talking about that, you can see that we are publicly supporting you. There's so much that we need to do still. And like you say, we don't want it to be pockets of reactions to incidents. It needs to be just this consistent approach. Yeah. Our staff yeah. have been through a hell of a lot in the in the last 18 months. And if you could just say one thing to them as a motivation for them to kind of keep going through this, this still difficult period, what would you say? Just before it hit, I remember that build up and we just didn't know what was coming. It was this, we knew it was some sort of tsunami of something. And I remember those few weeks where we just thought, we just don't know what's coming. And I think it is that once in a, it's probably once in an NHS career defining moment really you know you can say thank you but that's what we're dealing with you know in other generations it's been war it's been other things this is our thing that we are dealing with and we will be dealing with this for a very very long time and I suppose what I'm saying is it's not easy it never was going to be easy and how people have got through it is just is testimony to their to their brilliance their commitment you know it will get a bit easier or it will go in waves and we'll have a bit and we'll go down and it'll pick up again and whatever. But we are dealing with something that is once in a generation, really, I think. I know you're absolutely shattered. I know you've probably seen some horrific things, you know, some of the stories of what people have gone through, particularly in the first couple of waves where we had people who were really, really ill that you just wouldn't expect to see. And I just think it's, um, it's testimony to to the whole service really and people in it that we've kept going and we, we will keep going and that commitment's just 
phenomenal, really. Um, you know, at Woodlands, and I'm looking over the road and I went there my first day and I saw an out of hospital nursing team, but I also saw the vaccination centre. I mean, that's a, like how many people have we vaccinated at a rate of knots that nobody would have ever thought we could have done. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's hard. It's hard. And it, like you say, it was always going to be hard because it was an unprecedented global pandemic. And we've never been through that before. I, I, I think the bit I would encourage the staff and we've got to be in a position to deal with it is there'll be a level of trauma almost for some people. It might be, you know, they feel stressed, they feel tired, but they're managing, they're coping with it and they they have enough around them and they, they can deal with it. There are others that will need some you know psychological support they may not need it in the immediate aftermath this might be something that we're again we're living with for a longer time and we've got to be able to respond to that and i think as a as a trust i want i want us to be in a place where people feel like they can come forward they can say you know this is kind of like i'm working through it now and it's really difficult and we've got mechanisms there to support them you know like you said what would i say well one is do you know what? Let's let's have a conversation together about what we've just gone through, and if and if if we can help and support people, then that's what we need to do. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels. <laughs>